You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Hey there, all you tri-freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we talk and do ultra-endurance sports, and I take you along with me, and we learn a lot about ourselves along the way. All right, let's go ahead and mention who the interview is this week. We've got Luke Tybersky back on the show, recapping his ultimate triathlon. This guy... This guy is both crazy and awesome. He did a 12-day-long triathlon where he swam the Strait of Gibraltar. Then he biked across Spain, the coastline of Spain, along the Mediterranean to the border of France. And then the plan was to run from uh, one border of France to the other along the Mediterranean. So swim the Gibraltar Strait, bike Spain, run France all along the coastline. And uh, it's really fascinating what happened as he was going along and how he handled it and um, how he overcame some major obstacles that came up. So this is really good stuff because this teaches us uh, how to plan big and how to execute and how to stick with something. And uh, this was recorded pretty soon after I did my own uh, self-supported Ultraman, which is a three-day long mega triathlon on in its own right and uh yeah this i was really really fascinated at how this guy uh did this and it's uh, super cool so i'm excited to bring that to you but let's go ahead and pop off some triathlon news here we go okay first in the news we have two big bike stories andy potts who is probably the fastest american male in the triathlon circuit right now i think he was I think he was the fastest American male at Kona. Uh, he just switched bike sponsors to Cannondale. I believe he was with Kestrel. And the interesting thing here is if you look at Cannondale's bike lineup, there doesn't really seem to be one of these super bikes like the Cervelo P5 or the Scott Plasma. Um, these bikes that have just a lot of aerodynamic uh, trailing edges and uh, wing shapes and stuff like that. Uh, Cannondale's bikes look like uh, I I grew up uh, well, I didn't grow up but I used to ride mountain bikes a lot and had two or three Cannondale's I love Cannondale's but they just don't have something in the superbike lineup and this is a uh, great opportunity for Cannondale to release a uh, superbike so I predict that they will have something uh, really really sleek and gorgeous maybe this spring Maybe this summer, uh, maybe we'll see Andy Potts on something fantastic. And I remember uh, doing Galveston and Andy Potts running by me like I was standing still. It was pretty impressive. So the guy is all around a really great guy. And he also sets a standard for why it's okay to ride on the trainer a lot. He rides on the trainer uh, indoors. I believe he lives in Colorado a lot. In fact, almost all of his rides are on the trainer because you get such great results on the trainer. An hour on the trainer is like an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half out on the open road. It's really crazy. 
And if he does it and gets such great results, then you can do it too. So keep your eye out for Andy Potts. And sad news, the other half of this bike story is uh, Guru has gone kaput with bankruptcy. And they made bikes, uh, I believe, but they're definitely out of Canada, maybe in the Montreal area. I'm trying to remember which city they're out of. But they um, were really innovative and uh, made kick-ass bikes for a long time. And they just went bankrupt. They made everything in shop. Uh, so they made all their bikes, um, all different kinds of bikes. I think it was in a 6,000 square foot facility. It was a really neat operation. And uh, so many people are sad to see them go. But I, they, uh, their business model, I guess, just couldn't uh, compete with uh, other bike brands. And that also reminds me of Griffin. Griffin was such a cool bike company where they, I interviewed, I think I interviewed them one time many, many years ago, and they went out of business, I believe. They used uh, a ceramic alloy for their, for their uh, frame material, which was uh, warrantied for life to never crack or anything like that. And it was kick-ass. They, that, this is the same material that was used to make tank treads and... Um, Apache helicopter seat frames. It's like really lightweight, super, super strong. And to bend it and fold it and stuff, they had to chill it. It was like it had some reverse properties. So, um, yeah, innovation is awesome in cycling, and cycling is full of it all over the place. And it's sad to see an innovator go. Again, Guru uh, bankrupt. Lots of that online you can go check out. And let's see, we have Try. Uh, a triathlon going on in Dubai. I'm not sure do they call it Try Dubai anymore, but there's a Dubai 70.3 coming up this weekend. And that's a, uh, a big deal with the uh, racing circuit that might be part of the Triple Crown Series again, where you could win a million dollars if you won all three. Uh, I think it's uh, Dubai, Bahrain, and um, maybe uh, something in Australia they might do for the other race because Oman has some uh, strife going on. And lastly, I was getting uh, some tweets from somebody that I'd never met before, a Jocelyn McCauley, and uh, asking if uh, if I wanted to go for a run with her. And I figured, you know, she's just a show fan and um, maybe getting maybe just getting into triathlon. Uh, the Zentri podcast uh, attracts a lot of people that are just middle of the packers, you know, just trying to get it done, just age groupers. Uh, you and me, you know, just trying to get faster, trying to get better. And uh, people that hadn't even done a half Ironman or an Ironman yet, you know, and no plans to, you know, so I didn't, I didn't think much of it. I was just like, yeah, let's go for a jog. Uh, she said she was in kind of tr traveling back and forth between, um, the Woodlands, Houston and uh, college station for some reason. I didn't really know why. And, uh, but maybe we could go run and, uh, we set up one run and then that didn't happen because of a schedule conflict. And then, um, the next weekend, uh, she swung by and we went for a run. And first thing I noticed is um, she was younger than I thought. Second thing I noticed, she looked like she was about 25, 28 or something like that. Second thing I noticed was she was wearing um, a full cycle was it a full cycling kit with logos all over it? And I was like, that's pretty interesting. And said she just came back from riding with a whole bunch of friends in the woodlands at a training camp. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty interesting. And then 
uh, what was the third thing? Well, there's one third big thing that I noticed is when we started off running together. Oh, she was so modest too, right? Emily was asking her, so like, have you done any uh, races stuff? And she was like, oh yeah, I've done, you know, like something, you know, this, that, and the other. I, I wasn't really paying attention. I was like trying to get my shoes and my, and my water bottle together. And we were only going to run like half an hour or something. So, you know, I was just trying to leash up the dog. I don't know what I was trying to do, but I didn't catch part of the conversation. So anyway, we get out in the street and we start jogging down the street. And she was one of these runners like John Hirsch, where they bounce along like a kangaroo, you know, boing, the boing, like that way ahead of me. And I was like, holy crap, I need to speed up. Right. And then uh, we're running and we get about a quarter mile into the jog. And I say, so um, have you uh, have you done any uh, Ironmans? Uh, yet? And she said, oh yeah, yeah, I've done, uh, I did Ironman Texas. I said, oh really? How'd you do? And she goes, well, I got first overall age grouper. <laughs> I think she said first or second. And I was like, whoa, that, that record scratch. I'm like, whoa, what? And, uh, then, uh, she qualified for Kona, of course. And then she got first or second age grouper at Kona. And I was like, what? And then now she's a pro. And I think that was was back in 2014 when she had these uh, really good uh, age group results. And now she's a pro and, you know, trying to make it as a pro. And she was in Houston for the training camp, lives in Cincinnati, Ohio right now with her husband and the baby, like a two-year-old baby. So during all this Kona qualifying and winning stuff, she was uh, right after having a baby, I think. And um, then... She, uh, oh, her grandparents, she grew up in College Station where I live and, uh, her grandparents were watching the baby here in College Station while she was over in Houston, which is just an hour and a half, hour and an hour away for this in the woodlands to, uh, do this big training camp. And I said, is that per chance the big training camp, the Magnolia Masters, uh, swim team thing and all that? And she said, yeah. And I was like, holy crap, that's a real freaking training camp with real pros. Like, this is the real deal. And uh, so it was just really, really funny is you never know who you're talking to and who's done what. And I was really blown away. And so she said uh, she's been listening to some episodes and she's excited to actually come on the show and talk with us um, about... Uh, I don't know, just being a female pro and going pro and, and what she did. And I'm always interested in nutrition and going uh, for the long course stuff. And she's doing uh, Try Dubai uh, this weekend. And again, I don't know if it's Try Dubai or just Dubai 70.3. And uh, she's doing that this weekend. And uh, that'll be a really big deal. So that'll be the second, that'll be the, the, ma- the female. We had this year's male overall amateur winner. Uh, be on the show a few uh, episodes ago, an interview with him. And then now uh, Jocelyn McCauley. Let me make sure I got her last name right. I got a little pop-up here that's blocking her name. Jocelyn McCauley. And she is super cool. Easy to talk to. So I really look forward to uh, having her on the show. And uh, hopefully in an upcoming episode, I get the guy who um, won Ultraman overall in Hawaii. He seems to be a really cool laid-back guy and uh, wanting to to chat about uh, fun stuff like how in the world he did that (laughs) that's crazy anyway and we can compare notes it'll be a lot of fun all right let's go ahead and get started with our interview with luke tybersky and find out all about how to go 12 days long at the ultimate triathlon in the mediterranean here we go (laughs) 
All right. Well, cool. We have Luke Tybersky with us, who is the guy behind the Ultimate Triathlon, and uh, we'll cover the distances in a second. You'll have to tell me again because they're so huge that I don't have them off the top of my head. But Ultimate Trath, the Ultimate Triathlon dot co, right? Yep. And a really cool website where you, uh, I was really impressed right from the beginning about how you had everything all mapped out, you know, and and. Uh, all signs indicated that you were going to finish this no matter what. <laughs> so, yep, yeah, much. yeah. And, um, so if people want to listen, you can, they can go back a few episodes. What, what, when did we talk last on the show? Like in the spring, maybe you were training yeah, for this? Something like that. Yeah. And so, um, you were, the swim is across, uh, the Gibraltar Strait and then bike across Southern, Spain and then run across southern France, right? That was the plan. That was the plan, yeah. And with no prior triathlon experience. I, uh, I did one triathlon. Oh, you triathlon. did? Okay. Which, what was, was that? Double, really extreme triathlon, a double Ironman distance in North Wales. It took uh, me 35 hours because it was quite hilly. That is a lot of experience. <laughs> that's the only one. It's only one. <laughs> well, that, that's like 10 triathlons right there. That... You did the double in in Wales? Yeah, it had 15,000 feet worth of uh, vertical gain on the bike and 10,000 oh. on the run. Oh, my God, man. Okay, I'd forgotten about that. I, you must have told me before. And it, it yeah, blew. I bought a bike like three years ago. God, that is crazy, man. That's a, whole, that's a whole show interview in itself, how that thing went. But, okay, so tell us again, uh, the ultimate triathlon. What, what was it exactly? What was your plan and then what happened? So the ultimate triathlon, the plan was to swim from Morocco to Spain. Okay. Across the Gibraltar Strait, which should have been around 10, 10 to 12 miles. Yeah. And then it was to cycle, as you said, the southeast coast of Spain, which is about 800, 850 miles. Jeez. And then run the equivalent of 14 marathons in seven days across the south of France. Anyway, I'm getting um, an internet issue. Oh, wait, it slowed down for a second. Okay, say the run part again. Sorry about that. Say so the run part from the Spanish-French border uh -huh. was the equivalent of 14 marathons over seven days. <laughs> so the entire thing was 1,250 miles over yeah. 12 days. That was the plan. Okay. And so people don't know if, if people know, they already know what happened, but let's not say what happened 
and then uh, just start from day one? Because I know on day one you had you did finish. So the uh, so just to make it clear, yeah. I did twelve hundred fifty miles in twelve days, and I went. Yeah. I was I was at Monaco, and I did go to uh, from Morocco to Monaco. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, but you, I saw that even during the swim, there was like a big switch that you had to make because of crazy stuff going on, right? So, uh, what happened? So, I've spoken to this company that does the swims across the Gibraltar Strait for about two and a half years, uh-huh. and I said, I want to swim from Morocco to Spain, yeah. and they went, okay, that's fine. We normally go Spain to Morocco because it's slightly more favorable, but we can do that it's just a lot more harder because of the current. And I said, okay, that's fine. I get down there two days before I got to start, and they tell me that it's not only a lot more difficult to swim from Morocco to Spain, it's actually twice the distance because of the currents, and they start further down south of the sort of northwest of, uh, of the Moroccan coast. Okay. And that was, they were telling me I was going to swim like 20 miles. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I've been training for 10 to 12. 20 is just way too much. So right there and then, I had to quite literally just adapt to this spanner that was thrown in the works and just go, okay, fine, I'm going to now swim from Spain to Morocco, catch a boat back to Spain, and then continue on with the cycle that first day. Yeah, almost doubling the distance in the swim is uh, to that, to 20 miles, open ocean is yeah. ridiculous like that's crazy yeah, yeah that was a smart choice right there <laughs> that was the only choice to, to do it that's, realistically yeah that's the english channel almost about, yeah yeah it's it's not just about spending the time in the water uh-huh. it's the fact that i have an only a chunk of land that i have to aim for to hit to deem the swim you know finished yeah. so if i miss that then it's incomplete so that was one of the big things about if I tried to do the twenty mile swim from Morocco to to Spain, that was that was the main concern. But the uh, how long does the boat ride take back when you did the boat ride back? A lot quicker than the swim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so th- I jumped in the water. Yeah. Tell me about Tarifa. the swim. Yeah. Yeah, the most southern tip of Spain, uh-huh. and the water was it was nice. It was like mid seventies. I had a wetsuit on. So that was fine. Yeah. And it was a bit rough, a bit choppy, quite, you know, the swell was, was rolling. And and I basically got hit with a really strong current after a couple of hours. And I had to sprint basically nonstop to try and break through the current that was trying to drag me into the Mediterranean. Right. Now, that's the, that was the first sort of big hurdle I had to, had to deal with. And that was horrible. I was, I was breathing basically every, every two strokes. I couldn't get enough oxygen in because yeah. the lactate was building up. And I, I wasn't having fun. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And then there's all these massive big shipping tankers around me that is bringing all the cargo, cars, and everything into the Mediterranean. So they're, yeah, they're probably a few hundred meters away, but they look really close. So it's a bit daunting having all these massive big vessels around you. Yeah. Um, but you know, I just kept plowing through, and uh, I got hit by another big current. Uh, from hour four to hour five, and I got yelled at to swim as fast as I could. And while I was in mid-stroke, I tried to yell out to the, the crew that was next to me on the boat that was guiding me along, I'm swimming as fast as I can. Uh, <laughs> that, that clearly wasn't fast enough. So 
I did that, and then basically I got really close to the land and uh-huh. just had to push for that a little bit longer, and I got through the current, and I touched uh, Moroccan soil and actually stood on um, Moroccan soil just on this little sort of rocky rocky shelf, this rocky plateau at the edge of the water, uh-huh. swimming for five hours and 11 minutes and covering uh, 15 miles. Five hours, 10 miles. Wait, 15 miles? Yeah. So because of the current was dragging me into the Mediterranean, uh-huh. I sort of went south and then started to drift inland. So yeah. I covered 20, uh, 15 miles. Wow. Wow. Cool. Okay. So <laughs> that's crazy, man. I've, I've been in this situation surfing where I had to paddle my ass off or else I was going to get sucked out into God knows, into some rocks. I remember that one time. Yeah. And that's yeah. terrifying when you're already tired. Yeah. The... Um, Wow. So did you see any wildlife or was it pretty much just... Well, the Gibraltar Strait's known for its marine life. Yeah. Um, not not sharks or anything like that, but there's loads of whale watching tours and dolphin watching tours and fishing and yeah. all this stuff. I saw nothing for five hours except a deep blue abyss underneath me. Oh, yeah. Did it, do you ever get scared like of the uh, the depth or anything like that or tripped out because of the nothingness? No, I made peace with myself that I'm in the middle of the ocean and whatever's there is there and, and it's very deep and I won't see the bottom and I won't know what's underneath me, you know, for, for further than 20, 30 meters and yeah. I was fine. I knew where I was and I made peace with that a long time ago so it was just a bit like, come on. I was even looking like really close to my face or far away looking for like organisms in the water or plankton or something. I yeah. just saw nothing. Nothing, yeah. That's crazy. But did you know anybody on the boat or was... Yeah, so my crew, I had a crew of four people in total. Uh-huh. Um, one of my sponsors, uh, 33 Shake, a real food nutrition company that's actually um, just becoming next week available in the US as well. So people oh, should cool. check that out. Yeah. And so two of the, the founding um, people of that company, they came along. Uh, my girlfriend, who's an osteopathy a uh, student and massage therapist, she came along to sort of keep me intact. And then a cameraman for a film crew that uh, made a documentary oh, um, cool. about it all, which will be out next year. Yeah. They, they were all there. So on the actual boat with me, there was only two. There was uh, one of them on the little, there's a small boat literally by my side the entire way and a bigger boat in front of me. So mm-hmm. the cameraman was on the boat in front of me and one of my crew members uh, who was passing me food and stuff to eat every hour. Uh, or every two hours, uh, was right next to me. So I knew the people, or at least two people on the boat, but the rest were just guys from Spain who, would do, who did the crossings. Yeah. So you say your girlfriend, so you managed to keep your girlfriend through all this, right? She's not your ex-girlfriend after you pulling this off, right? No, she, she is still my girlfriend and for some stupid reason that <laughs> she was there for the entire trip and, you know, she was putting toothpaste on my toothbrush for me in the mornings and I was laying in bed and bringing me spit cups to spit into. And oh, man. Yeah, so she, she took care of me like a little kid. She cut A couple of days I couldn't even put my pants on, so she even helped me that. But, yeah. you know, we're still together, so, you know, I'm doing something right, clearly. Some, yeah, some girls like taking care of a guy that's an absolute mess because of some athletic accomplishment, you know, because it's, it's their, their warrior, you know, that they, they like. So There, there you that. go. So, yeah. Yes, no, she, she was there. We're, we're still together, so that's, that's all right. <laughs> okay, so then... Um, yeah, I want to get into the food again uh, in, a, in a few minutes. Uh, but you, okay, so you did the whole swim in one day. 
Yeah, right? so five hours, no. 11 minutes, jumped on the boat. It took about an hour uh-huh. to get back to Tarifa where our base was, where yeah. I met up with the rest of my crew. Right. And that day I had 65 miles to cycle before I finished day oh, one. Dang, dude. Okay, what time did you start in the morning on the bike or uh, in the swim? Uh, just after 8.30, I think. Okay. So what time did you finish day one? Do you remember? Was the sun down yet or you still had daylight? Oh, yeah, it was dark. Yeah, it was dark. Uh, I finished around 11, I think. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay, and uh, this is getting really real all of a sudden, right? Okay, so then oh. uh, the day two bike ride, if you remember, uh, what time did you start and how many miles or kilometers did you have to go? I started, I think, just after seven, and I ended up cycling 230 miles. Damn. Yeah, so I, I know it's 360 kilometers, but I'm just trying to yeah. change it. So about 230 miles, and it took me 17 hours and 18 minutes. Now, did you have to do that distance that day, or that's as far as you went and you were just done? No, time. so every day we had a plan of where we were going to start and where we were going to finish so I could get the 1,250 miles in 12 days in. And that was a designated finishing place for that day. Now, do you think you could have done it on your own without those numbers already planted in your head or if you just went by feel? Or do you think that it was a good thing that you stuck, you had these numbers like I'm going to do this many miles this day and this many miles the next day? For me... Like, yes, I could have done it if, if we were just trying to wing it. But for me, it's I, I like having a number there, whether it's a massive number like 230 miles today after you did it, you swam from Europe to Africa and then cycled 65. Yeah. But it's I play a bit of a game. It's a bit of a target to hit, you know. So that's yeah. sort of that's my bar for the day. And if I don't hit that bar, then I'll be disappointed. So I do everything possibly um, to get there. So, no, it was good. Okay, so let's talk about uh, back to the nutrition. Um, what did you eat at night and then what did you eat during the day, uh, while you were, uh, swimming and riding and then, and then eventually running? Yeah. Okay. So basically my breakfast was the same as the best way to go was to do breakfast, lunch and dinner and then, and then during the day, uh-huh. breakfast was the same every day. I would have an avocado or two mashed up with some olive oil and some coconut oil, thrown in a a 33 shake, which is basically 33 superfood ingredients, um, all natural and everything. You you look on the back of the packet and it's, you know all the ingredients. Right. And use them, they're one of my sponsors. And also other superfoods, so extra spirulina, cinnamon, turmeric, seeds, nuts, all that type of stuff, mashed up with avocado, so it looks like a green, gloopy mess, but really nutrient dense really tasty and i eat that for breakfast at home normally so just made it a bit more bulkier and i'd have that for breakfast every day right so that's cool and then lunch and dinner we would sort of cruise along and we would normally say lunchtime let's stop anywhere between sort of one and two but when we'd see my crew that was leapfrogging ahead of me i'd say oh let's have lunch in an hour and that's okay then i'd drive up the road and make me a massive big bulky salad with all fresh um, vegetables that they bought in the area, uh-huh. either a farmer's markets or like a supermarket, something like that, bulked up salad with seeds and nuts and roasted veggies if we had some of them. Um, sometimes throughout the um, south of Spain, 
we got some Embirico ham, which is from the Embirico pig, so known for the area on there. So, you know, really fresh cured cured ham. Right. Um, chickpeas, lentils, so legumes and things like this, so really bulked up salad. And I'd have one of those for uh, lunch and one of those for dinner. So it was just like at home. That was nice. Yeah. And, and then on the bike and on the run, I would have 33 Shake uh, Chia Energy Gels, which are with the company that I that I work with, which is it's basically four ingredients: chia seeds, uh, Himalayan pink salt, uh, coconut palm sugar, and uh, Madagascan vanilla extracts. Put some water in there, shake it up. Ten minutes later, you've got like a gel, and it's four ingredients, and it's real food. And um, yeah, so I I would have them every couple of hours. A bit more seeds, a bit more nuts. You know, random stuff like I felt like some carrots, so I put some carrots in my jersey pocket and just chomped on them for a yeah, while. Yeah, those taste good. I ate some fresh carrots uh, a couple of days ago, like cooking something. They're so sweet. People forget about that. Carrots are really sweet. You know, yeah. Good one. yeah. So that's basically like people may try and think of that I eat something special, but that's basically what I ate every day, and that's really what I eat at home most days. So yeah. I, I just ate a lot more, obviously, but I would have a breakfast before I left, lunch somewhere sort of, you know, sort of five hours or so into it, and then dinner, you know, a couple hours before I finished, and that was it. All right, I want to take a quick break in this interview to give a shout out to a sponsor, Amrita Bars. Man, it is cold outside, and you need good fuel, good fuel that's not hard to chew on. I uh, just closed the car door, you can hear me driving along here. Uh, because I'm scraping ice off my windshield, even down here in central Texas. It's cold. Got ice on the windshield. And I had an Amrita bar this morning. And I had a Cliff bar the other day and got it out of my car. And I was actually shocked. You know, last episode I said, because Arshad, the owner of Amrita bars, said something about that the uh, other bars tend to get hard and hard to chew on when it's uh when it's cold outside and i got a cliff bar out of my car we was sitting in my car and uh chewed on it it was like a freaking brick i almost broke my teeth and uh, i also got out an amrita bar the next day and it was so soft and chewy and yummy so check out amrita bars they do not get hard in this cold nasty weather and you people that live where you get ice all over your windshield and can't see crap man y'all, y'all people are crazy how do y'all deal with this, man? I'm so thankful. Sometimes I'm mad at my parents for moving to Texas and raising me in Texas because now I'm stuck in Texas. <laughs> but other times I'm like, thank God we moved away from Ohio. <laughs> oh my God. When I was a little kid in Ohio, my I remember having to get all bundled up like the kid in the Christmas story, the kids, where I couldn't even move my arms. And my brother and I, we would go outside and play in a sled, play on a sled in the snow. And... Uh, uh, the, when I was a kid, probably in like 1975, 1976, the uh, the Ohio River froze over completely, and people were and this is in Cincinnati, and people were driving across it in cars and stuff. It's pretty crazy. But anyway, Amrita bars, check them out. You go to Amrita A M R I T A Amrita Health com and use discount code Zen two zero one six. Zen 2016 and get a nice chunk of change off of the coolest, healthiest, chewiest, yummiest bars in the world. I freaking love them. I was on the bike this morning on the trainer and I grabbed 
and Amrita bar before um, I got on the trainer because I was like, uh, I had that feeling, you know, I'm like, am I not going to make it through this uh, ride without being miserable? And I got about 30 minutes in and I was like, you know what, oh, man, I could really use some carbs. So I popped it open. It's got carbs and fat and protein, all kinds of good stuff. And it's vegan and I think it's gluten free too. And it's also, if you got nut allergies, they use seeds instead of nuts. It's really cool. So I, uh, you can pop up the, you can pop open the end of the wrapper and just take a bite. So I ate about a quarter of the Amrita bar and uh, chewed on it and drank some water with it and boom, felt really good really quickly. And it was a nice solid energy, not a big drop. So again, amritahealthfoods.com. Get your Amrita bars at, uh, with discount code ZEN2016. And they have a whole bunch of other cool stuff too. And I think the discount code works on all kinds of cool stuff. They have a really cool logo. So it's, you can get jerseys and socks and shoes. And then also, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Chris Haig Racing. Chris Haig is a coach, uh, H-A-G-U-E. He's a good friend of mine. I love this guy. And um, I'm always promoting other coaches because I think we share a network. If you don't like your current coach, you can always go try another one and uh, find one. It's all about attitude and and uh, a coach that's inspiring. And Chris Haig is definitely that. Check him out, chrishaig.com, Chris Haig Coaching. And he, uh, he ran track at Sewanee. University of the South at Sewanee, and I almost, I almost swam there. A uh, really good school, and uh, yeah, really great attitude, nice guy, so check him out. All right, let's go ahead and get back to the interview. Here we go. Go, Luke. Okay, what about, how did you stay on top of, like, your weight and hydration? Like, did you weigh yourself? I found when I did something long recently, weighing myself every day was critical, because then I knew that I was getting too light or needed to drink up more. Uh, were you doing that? Did you have a scale with you every day or, or what? I did have scales with me every day. And after the first few days, my weight was pretty much, I didn't lose any weight, I didn't gain any weight, everything was perfect. And also, because I'm quite lean mm-hmm. as well, I know sort of, I can feel around my body and go, well, you know, I think I'm a bit lean or this and that, or I'm not eating enough or I'm not hydrating enough and, you know, I wake up in the morning or, or even that late in the afternoon if, if I've got a bit of a fuzzy head or whatever, I know I have to drink a bit more. But, no, you know, I've been doing long stuff now for, yeah. it's, only, it's only been like three and a half years, but I've gone straight into doing really long stuff. So I've got to learn my body pretty well. Yeah. Um, and I did have some because it was, you know, it was it was a bit warmer than in the UK down along that area of, of the world. It was sort of, you know, some days got into the 80s, mid to high 80s, but most of it was sort of um, late 70s, early 80s. So, you know, I was sipping on a bit of electrolyte um, here and there, but I wouldn't say every every drink bottle I had or every bottle I had was electrolyte. It's just one or two a day, and if yeah. it was a bit warmer, I'd have an extra one. But just really listening to my body, which I've done over the last few years, and really used my body as a as an experiment with what works and in what conditions and to know what I need and what I don't need. Yeah. And and you train so much for this, right? You kind of know what's going on with yeah, uh, yeah. day-to-day. Yeah. Okay. So you're uh, biking so, along. So something about my training. My biggest training block for this was about eight weeks before I started, uh-huh. and I did 50 hours of training in six days. Dang. Wow. There's a video on my website, just a short little clip. I think it lasts like 
50 seconds or a minute or something like that just to give you a little clip of every day and what i did so that's crazy to- that's a that's a ton man just to pull that off is amazing wow i felt great at the end of it it was awesome yeah holy cow did you do any interval work during that at all was it all just like super easy I wouldn't say it was all super easy. It was I'd chuck a few bits of intervals in just to not structured, but just to make it a bit fun. So yeah. I basically did a a big bike and a short ocean swim, a long ocean swim, and a big bike, a big bike, and then uh, a big run and a swim, and then two runs. And yeah. the big bikes were 140 miles each go. And the big runs were 40, yeah, 40 miles. Um, yeah. But I would like, I'd be running and go along and go, okay, this hill, I'm going to run up this hill a bit quicker or to the next telegraph pole, I'm just going to increase my pace just to, just to mix it up, but not actually structured. Golly, a 50-hour training week. That's crazy. That's awesome. Okay, so you're, uh, you're cruising along on the bike, and what was it like? biking along was it yeah spain you're biking along in spain and i've biked a a bunch in spain one time i did a training camp there it's beautiful everybody's really nice right did you have that same experience like it was just tons of fun yeah it was lovely a lot of the times i was on the coast so you could see the mediterranean yeah Uh nice blue glistening water and yeah a few little climbs here and there but nothing too major but just enough to sting the legs yeah. and make it interesting but yeah it's, it's just a really beautiful country and yeah, yeah we went through a few areas where it was a bit like barren a bit desert like even but you could see the coast on the horizon so it was, it was really pretty yeah wow did anything funny happen on your bike ride i passed out and don't remember cycling three hours uh at the end of day three and <laughs> i knew i woke up and i was in a hotel room bed and i said to my crew how the hell did i get here and i had a headache yeah now you're now you got a race yeah this is or an event i guess yeah so basically on the on day three i'd cycled about 200 190 miles in completion but before then i lost i had a Uh walkie-talkie in my ear and that's how i would communicate with the with the with the crew that was traveling in the van and leapfrogging me yeah but it was late into the night maybe 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock on about 11 o'clock on day day three Mm mm-hmm and at this stage, I'd been going for about 48 hours uh, of, of swimming and cycling over three days, off mm-hmm. about six hours sleep in total over those three days. And I was pretty tired. And, yeah. and I remember getting tired. And I remember seeing these lights up, a, up ahead of me. And then the next thing I know, I woke up in a hotel room the next day. Yeah. But apparently what happened was I, like, I'd blanked out for a couple of hours. My crew were telling me to come off this main road, which they couldn't stop on. But I didn't get the message. And I kept going. Uh-huh. And... It just blanked out or passed out. I was so tired, so exhausted, pushing myself, pushing myself, and I don't remember any of this. And my crew came up, saw me. I wasn't responsive. They were yelling out to me, nothing. I literally grabbed me on the bike. Uh-huh. I didn't resist. They took me off the bike, put me in the back of the van, and apparently I just collapsed and I was passed out uh, and I was unconscious. I wasn't wow. responsive or anything like that. Yeah. So. And then they took me to the hotel and put me in bed, and I woke up the next day having no recollection of how I got there. That's a little crazy. That's kind of uh, out there, man. Have you have you heard the stories of the guy that used to race Ram that he would hallucinate and stuff, and his crew would kind of go along with it to keep motivating him? Yeah, I've I've heard that. I've hallucinated in different endurance yeah. events as well um, in the past, but I've not actually 
ever came to this point where my body is so tired, my body is so exhausted, it's just basically, and my mind was still with it and still pushing me, yeah. but my body just stopped and shut down. That's um, crazy. That's a whole other level. Yeah. That it, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So you bike all the way to the coast or to the border of uh, France. Yeah, I got in my um, 850 miles or whatever Eight, it was. Yeah. Uh, and how many days was all that biking? Five days? Just over four. So four long days and then that little 65 miler on the first day after the swim. Okay. And then uh, now, did you run the same day as your last bike or did you just, you're done with the bike and you're taking a day or you start running? So the day I passed out on the bike and the guys ripped me off it. Uh-huh up the next morning and I could barely stand up. I had no balance. I was exhausted. I had no coordination and I wanted to keep going. I wanted to get on the bike and cycle again and the crew didn't want me to go but I, I said I was the boss and I jumped on and I nearly crashed after cycling about 200 yards and they said, no, you, they're forced to rest day. Uh-huh. So day four was actually a rest day. Uh-huh. So the reason why I'm telling you this was now for me to fulfill my challenge and finish the ultimate triathlon in 12 days, yeah. that meant I now had to run the equivalent of 14 marathons, not in seven days, but in six. So okay. that was our target. Okay. All right. And the first day we set off, um, day after the bike, which I was really stoked about to get off the bike because my butt was so sore. Yeah. Uh, I'd strained my left hamstring, so I was cycling for the last two days really uh, on on one leg because it was it was pretty bad, especially going up any climbs. Yeah. So how do you I, was, think you I was now injured, it? had that taped up. How do you think And you I started to run, it? it was good because it was a different type of loading loading, yeah. biomechanics had changed. And I was enjoying it through these little villages in, in, in the south of France. You know, there's like very autumnal colours, so the oranges and the reds and the and the golds, and it was beautiful. Yeah. And the the vineyards that I ran through was like really old, and it was just it was just lovely little trails, lovely little um, roads that I was going along. And I ended up running uh, 85k, so 50 53 miles. So I did two marathons that day. But what happened was at the end of that day, like on the bike, I started shutting down. So luckily at this stage, my girlfriend was with me. She does a bit of running as well. Um, and she was with me and I started to slow to a very slow shuffle. And I was still mumbling to myself, pushing myself, come on, Luke, keep going, keep running. Why are you stopping running? Keep going. I was saying all this stuff, that I, which, I, which I don't remember. Right. She'd filled me in. <laughs> And, and then I slowed to a walk, still saying, come on, keep running, keep running, keep running. And then she said, I just stopped and collapsed face first on the side of the road uh-huh. after about 53 miles. Okay. And so she had to sort of grab the phone and call the crew who were only about half a mile up the road. Um, but I remember none of this. Uh-huh. And the next thing I know, I woke up in a hotel room the next day, put my kit on and said, right, let's go. We're going to run again. And the aim was another 60, 60 miles that day. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> after only 30 miles, I think it was, I um, collapsed and passed out on the side of the road again and they put me in the back of a van and took me to a hotel and woke up the next day and ready to run again, except on that day, I tore my quad and okay. this was pretty bad. Uh, I've, I come from a soccer player's background. I I played professionally throughout the world and this and that in a lower level and I've torn many, many uh, muscles and things so I know what it's like and 
this was up there with some of the worst that I had. I could actually feel the fibers of my quadricep pulling apart um, oh. every time I ran. So after I'd passed out on those first two run days, I started running, but I couldn't actually run. I was hobbling. It was, it was really bad. I could feel the quad tearing. And then after about 12 miles where I couldn't even run, I was actually just walking at this stage, I had to make a decision. Yeah. Now, I still had probably nearly 300 miles, just under 300 miles to get to Monaco. Right. And I had just over three days to do it, to hit my target of 12 days. And I had to figure out how I was going to do it. If I continued to walk, that would have taken me probably another two or three weeks. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, because my leg was hurting, I thought, oh, could I swim it? But clearly that was <laughs> that was not an option and clearly I wasn't thinking straight at this point. Yeah. I made a decision that the only way I could finish the ultimate triathlon that it was I needed to adapt and that was to get back on the bike and oh. see if I could cycle one legged the rest of the way. Yeah. And I got on the bike and had to do thirty 35, no, 40 miles, sorry. Yeah, 40 miles that day, and that was the most excruciating, well, just it took me just over four hours for those, um, no, just over three hours for those 40 miles. Yeah. It was excruciating three hours of the entire event and up there with the most excruciating three hours of my athletic life. It was horrible. Wow. Yeah, I'm covering my face right now and just, like, thinking about the pain. So every time my my foot was yeah. it was in the cleat, but I wasn't driving. My left foot was all right legged, so it was I was only using one leg. But every time my leg bent, it was like oh. a sharp knife stabbing into my quad. Yeah. Every time I'd start to straighten it, I could feel like the sharp pain pulling out. Yeah. But because I'd strained my hamstring earlier, every time my hamstring went straight, so it was under stretch. Yeah, you're alternating the tighten up yeah so it was like like in a vice like a really gripping feeling so it was like a knife stabbing into my quad and then the knife pulling out and then a vice gripping my hamstring every revolution of the pedal yeah so it was pretty horrible but i got to the end of that day and i basically fell off the bike the guys grabbed me and took the bike out from underneath me um, they had some crutches, so any time I had to move, I was on now on crutches because I could bear, I couldn't put any weight on it. Yeah. So, and then basically went into the hotel and laid on the bed until the next morning, and I got up and I had uh, 100 miles to cycle that day, so the third last day, and yeah, once again gritted the teeth and mashed out 100 miles on the bike in uh, eight hours, and uh, it was pretty pretty brutal. And then there was just two days to go. <laughs> only two more days <laughs> i got a, i got a question you may not be able to answer this but it's it's odd how this happens how do you think that people tear muscles or pull ligaments or and stuff like that um when over long distance stuff when you're not you're not going you know sprint you're not sprinting so you're not putting the body under what would be the maximum load it could handle so how do you think that, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I've done this kind of thing too, where you're, it's, you've been going so long, you're tired, and then you'll st something will start to hurt like you've pulled it or you're injuring it. Um, how, do, how do you think that happens? How do you pull a, 
how do you injure a quad when you're doing relatively an easy pace because you're going so long? What is what is that? For I can only really well I can only really speak for me, and, and it could be a yeah. bit of a generalization people could take away from it. But the reason why I 99% sure, and my and my crew and, and my girlfriend, who was my medical team, believes the, the reason I tore my quad so bad, yeah. it actually started back on the bike when I strained my hamstring because then I started to load differently when I cycled and then I started to run differently because I had this ailment. Right. Now, to answer your question again, well, what, how would I strain a hamstring when I'm cycling? You know, I'm not trying to sprint, I'm not trying to crew, um, fly up hills. Okay. Well, in my opinion, for me, I think it was because the amount of um, loading I did in a short amount of time, so the same type of loading. So I did, I'm just looking at the numbers I've got on my screen now, I did 33, 37 hours of cycling in just over two days. Yeah. So I traveled with my bike. Maybe my bike was my bike seat was half a millimeter off or yeah. it was completely straight or maybe – my, you know, something in my cleat wasn't the same. There could be something like this, or it could just be the fact that I did 37 hours in just over two days, and yeah. my, I'm not a machine. Maybe yeah. I, you know, I was I was pulling up a hill somewhere different, and it just, you know, a few fibers went, and then that was the start of it. But for me, I think that's how the hamstring started, and then it's not like oh, I'll have a rest for two weeks and go again. I woke up the next day and cycled another 15 hours of cycling with this strained hamstring and that's yeah. only going to make it worse and then obviously I was loading different on the bike and then when I started to run then that's the reason why I felt like my quadricep went. Okay yeah I see so because you can't your hamstring is what you pull up with on your left leg well you can't do that as well now so you're pushing down more with your right leg which is your quad and you may not notice the damage that does on the bike but when you start to run like that the fatigue in your quad that's built up, now you're trying to run on it and then snap, things start tearing. Yeah, yeah. and then you're trying to um, decelerate when you're running down a hill. Yeah. The same. If you had a few fibers separated, you're, you're going downhill for hours and hours and hours and then going uphill and trying to do a drive off a little bit and then a few fibers separate and then all of a sudden, boom, then a lot separate and you actually start tearing it. So oh. in my opinion, with, with my sports science background and my uh, experience with what I'm doing and what I've done in endurance sports and also being a, a soccer player my whole life, that's that's makes sense to me and that's yeah. where I've made my peace with it. Yeah, I can totally see that happening. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This is crazy. Okay, so you got two more days left, right? Yeah. And now you're biking one-legged. One legged. I just and you're done on crutches. On one leg, yeah. And I've got 65 miles to do each day. Okay. And uh, quite hilly days, actually, to be honest. Um, yeah. Well, two. There's two climbs on each day, and I couldn't. You can't. You can't cycle up a hill with only one leg right. uh, when it's when it's relatively steep. So you need to engage your other leg a little bit. Uh -huh. So this was brutal. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. I was yelling and screaming at the top of my lungs at myself. Yeah. Just because it was horrible. And at times I was just like, I don't care, suck it up. And I would 
I would attack the climb. Uh-huh. But I would attack the climb and grip my teeth just because I could see the top was in another 100 metres and three switchbacks. Yeah. And go <laughs> after it. And I could feel my quad going. I could feel my hamstring gripping tighter, but I just needed to get to the top. So, yeah. Um, switchbacks, yeah, like, man. Oh, my God. That's how steep it is, right? Switchbacks. Yeah. yeah oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, some switchbacks. Yeah. And then – so I finished the second last day and um, – yeah, we're, we're down right on the coast, so right on the on south of France, um, near Cannes, which is a quite a affluent um, mm-hmm. area where the big film festival is with the big super yachts and everything like that. So, yeah. Well, then the final day was another 65 miles into Monaco. Mm-hmm. Now, I said to my crew, I'm not running, I'm not cycling into Monaco, I'm running. Okay. And they all went, what do you mean? I said, I don't care if it's 100 meters, I don't care if it's a mile, I don't care however, but you need to find somewhere to pull over just before the border, I'm going to give you my bike and I'm going to run into Monaco because that's what I envisioned three and a half, four years ago when right. I made up this challenge and that's what I'm going to do. And they said, well, you're going to use your crutches because I've been on crutches for the past three days uh-huh. when I wasn't on the bike. And I went, no, I'm not using any stupid crutches. <laughs> I, may, I may have used slightly more colorful language, but, yeah. you know, we'll save that. And um, and they went, well, you, you can't do that. And my girlfriend was really concerned because the, everyone was concerned, actually, because I was pushing so hard on the bike that I'd actually, you know, do some long-term damage to my quad. Yeah. Then even if it's just 100 meters running, I could do some serious damage trying to run on that. So being stubborn and, and pulling out on the boss card, this is what I'm doing, this is it, um, they said, right, we'll find somewhere to stop. And so we're coming up into, you come into Nice, which is a nice long flat area where there's a few climbs uh-huh. and then you come down into Nice and it's pancake flat for probably five miles and then you start the climb up and around the, the hills into Monaco. And it's really beautiful. You're right on the side of these cliffs, and it's nice windy roads, few little up and down rolling hills. But it's it's beautiful overlooking the Mediterranean. Yeah. And then we were coming down, and just about into Monaco, and I saw my crew on the side of the road, just in this little car space. So I pulled over. Once again, they had to catch me on the bike, and they had to pull the bike out from underneath me because I couldn't swing my legs over. Right. And I sat on the ground, and my Girlfriend helped take my cleats off because I couldn't do that. Right. I couldn't reach forward because of my hamstring, and it was hard to find the right balance of the level, level of flexion in my knee. So she put my shoes on for me, and she got changed into some running shorts, and I had about 150 meters to the Monaco border. Uh-huh. And the start of Monaco is a, is a roundabout, you know, like the traffic island. And on the middle, middle of it was this big, big, massive big rock sticking out of the grass. And uh-huh. it said, uh, Principal de Monaco, which means the principal of, of Monaco. Uh-huh. And I hobbled down this street and it, it was bad. There's actually a couple of videos on, on my websites now of like, trailers for the Ultimate Triathlon for the documentary. And the second trailer, um, the celebration of the Ultimate Triathlon, it's called, you can see me actually hobbling at the end. And it was excruciating pain it was yeah. I don't really remember much of it because the pain was that much I'm just like I've got to get to the end and I ran across the traffic through the roundabout don't remember that and saw this <laughs> rock that just quite literally fell onto it lips first gave it a big kiss and uh-huh. literally said to myself in my head 
you've done it, well done. Now save this moment because as soon as you turn around, everything's going to change because you've finished the ultimate triathlon. Yeah. You're not just going to do it. And 1,250 miles in 12 days, Morocco to Monaco, done. All under human power, triathlon style. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, golly, man, you've got me both wanting to do it and wanting to definitely never do it <laughs> all at once. It's really hilly, man. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was. It was. It was long. And, and although yeah. I didn't do as much running as, as I'd planned, and running is actually my strongest my strongest discipline. Yeah. Um, I've been a, I've been a runner for four years. I've only been a cyclist for three. Yeah. And a swimmer for about two and a half. So. Um, yeah, so that was my strongest discipline. Disappointed I couldn't run so along the way, but at the same time, what I take away from it and what I, because I do a lot of motivational speaking now and trying to get, um, you know, talks all around the world to, from kids to, you know, CEOs to board of directors from different companies and things, mm-hmm. is what I took away from it was I gave everything I possibly could every single day. I couldn't have worked physically harder. Right. And I did that finished the ultimate triathlon 1250 miles in 12 days because I didn't give up and why didn't I give up because I adapted when things got thrown in my way the swim I had to swim in a different direction I got injured and I kept passing out so I had to adapt to what was thrown at me and I persevered with that Um, you know I didn't get upset that I had to get on the bike and not run so well this is the only way I could finish so yeah I worked my butt off to get to the finishing line and at the same time I kept my head up and I looked around at the beautiful scenery and I enjoyed the journey. So when I got to the end, I was like, you know what, I couldn't have done any more, I couldn't have worked any harder yeah. and I still achieved my goal of going from Morocco to Monaco and finishing the ultimate triathlon. So then that, I found that that uh, doing everything that you can is actually like the most rewarding feeling. Like you pushed yourself to your limit. like. It did it. Well, I pushed myself to my limit, and then three of the days even further. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. it's so rewarding because you can think, well, I didn't, I didn't do all that running. You think, well, okay, you didn't, but if you tried to, you wouldn't have finished, so you would have failed. Yeah. But you adapted and you worked your butt off every single day, how you could, and you did it. So, right. Yeah, it's it's really rewarding, and I'm, and I don't say this very often, and and my close circle of friends and and family don't re- very rarely hear me say this, but I am proud of myself because I worked my butt off every day, and I couldn't have worked any harder, and and I still achieved a goal that I set four years ago now. Yeah. So, how do you feel about your bike? Did you hurl it into the ocean after all this, or or uh, did you keep it? I, I kept it. I thought about throwing it, but it's. Uh, <laughs> I knew you did. <laughs> I, I did, but I, to be fair, when I when I got back to to London, where where I live, and and I put it back together after a week, um, I left it there just in the corner. Yeah. I was actually, you know, although although I was on it for a very very long time, I got that connection back. You know, we all love our bikes. We have some weird connection with them, whether you're a guy or a girl, doesn't matter. And no, putting it back together, it was almost like, right, here we go again. Yeah. You're going to be kind to me, and I'll put you back together nicely, and, and we'll go again in the future. But um, now we're friends now. We we had a little bit of a bit of an argument for a while there, but it's all good. We kissed and made up. Yeah, so, man, you put your bike together after you only waited a week to put your bike back together. 
That's pretty impressive. Uh, only because that's the only window I had because I didn't have enough time beforehand. But yeah, why not? Oh, I've done stuff where I don't want to see that piece of equipment for like a month. But yeah, okay. So well, speaking on that, uh, was there anything that you planned on using, like a piece of equipment or a piece of nutrition or something like that, that you ended up going, man, this does not work. And then on the opposite, the flip side of that, was there something that you didn't expect to be wonderful, but it turned out to be amazing that you really like? I'm going to be really boring and say nothing because everything I used uh-huh. during uh, the ultimate triathlon in terms of nutrition I'd used before and it was tried and trusted and I knew it was perfect and any cravings I had was stuff that I normally eat. So that was cool. Yeah. Uh, in terms of kits, uh, I've cycled with my bike and the same kit that I was using for, for many, many big adventures in the in the past and no, it was all it was all good. Uh, running stuff was was amazing. Um, any random things? Well, <laughs> we're lucky we had a lot of Tupperware container in the van because yeah. that's what we ate out of all the time. So that was that was pretty handy. But yeah. we we had some of that already. Um, no, it's yeah. I you know I've been planning this for four years and and. and trying to come up with things that I needed and asking people, what do you think I should do? What do you think of this? But there was nothing really spare of the moment that I wished I had or or I took that was just pointless. Yeah. Um, I wish I, I wish I could come up with some random thing that was awesome, but I'd sort of planned it. and Yeah. It well, that's, that's a sign of really good planning and training that things weren't too different than what you thought they were going to be. No, it was just... How how I finished it was completely different <laughs> to what I thought. Yeah, so talk about that, like uh, how you how you felt when you were done. Like I did, I did this Ultraman, a self supported one recently, and it didn't hit me like the what I had done and how good it felt until like I think like three days later, I had this overwhelming sensation all of a sudden of like, whoa, holy crap! I did a self supported you know, major thing in my, that I thought was just huge and it hit me. Did it hit you like immediately or did uh, it take a while to sink in or is it still sinking in? Are you getting like kind of waves of like, whoa, this is amazing or, or, or not? Yeah, it's been um, five weeks since I finished now uh-huh. and I've done, uh, I've, I've been quite busy. I've done a lot of traveling and it sort of hit me in waves, but Nothing really major. I, it's, it's really weird because all of my friends um, and, and family who have been with me throughout this whole journey of planning this, uh-huh. they've all said, do you realize what you've done and are you proud of yourself? And I said, yeah, I am proud of myself and I know I've done something exceptional where realistically there's probably only one or two people in the world that have done any sort of swim, bike and run and, um, thing like this. But I wouldn't say I sit there and, and, and actually understand what uh, and the, to the degree of what I've achieved. Um, yeah. I know I'm proud of myself of what I've done, but it's still slowly sinking in. And I think maybe, uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in the US at the moment. I've been here for just over a week doing some promotional stuff for the Ultimate Triathlon. And I was in Monaco for three days before I came here, went back there, uh-huh. crazy enough. Um, for a, for an international forum with an organization I'm doing some work with and I was only back at home for like just over two weeks because I spent a few days in in France before I flew back so I think once I'm back for Christmas and we sort of chill out and spend a bit of time with family well, I'm hoping it'll sink in a bit more but 
um, yeah, it's 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 sort of coming in waves, and you talk to people, and you know, I've had a few meetings with with people and other athletes, you know, some Olympic uh, gold medal winning athletes in the US over here, and some other high profile um, trainers and, and athletes as well, and and when they're, you know excited to hear your stories and, and asking you and digging into your brain or this and that and trying to get some mm-hmm. some feedback from me to help in their careers you sort of sit back and think wow you know if I, these other you know highly accomplished athletes are, are listening to me and and wanting to get some feedback from me you know it's, it's sort of hard to not think that I, I've achieved something that's uh, pretty amazing I think a, one difficulty is because because this is a unique thing there's not enough people doing it where you could compare yourself, right, to to them. Like, say, if you did a, an Ironman, right? Well, even the guy that did like all these fifty Ironmans in a row, right? You could still, because Ironmans are such a common thing, you can compare that guy's time every day versus like a normal somebody's one-off yeah. Ironman, right? Because you did something so unique, it's difficult to comprehend what actually it was and and it's more like to even understand it it's more like hours per day you know so many days in a row is is what you could tell a trainer or something you know an expert and then they would be like holy shit dude you did like what what do you think like like 15 hours a day 20 hours a day like every day for 12 days or something no it's it totaled 100 i think 108 hours over 11 days um yeah okay so that's basic but the thing is the thing is i I, i've actually i actually know james lawrence the guy that did the 50 50 50 and spoken to him yeah and before and and after and from in my opinion it's because a couple of people have sort of mentioned us in the in in the same in the same sentence and i said it's completely different Mm -hmm. because one, his is 50 days, and that's just incre- it's crazy, incredible. Yeah. But it's completely different because he's, he was loading his body in the three different sports every day. So he was doing you know, an hour or so in the, in, in the, in the swim and this in the bike. You know, my first long bike day, I did 17 hours in the saddle. So my yeah. body was going to be fixed in that position. And yeah. then I did... And then I did just under 17 hours the next day, and then I did just under 15 hours the following day. So that's all cycling. So, you know, then you could compare it to a cyclist who's doing a big tour. Well, they wouldn't do that amount of hours right. on the bike. So, yes, I did a swim, and then I'd cycle and did a bit of running, and then a bit more cycling again. But it's 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 very different. And yeah, the only way you can look at it is hours per day. But then at hours per day, you go well, hours per day. Someone who did a, an Ironman does three different disciplines and they're loading their body completely different right. for each one. So it's not actually, say they did a 14-hour Ironman, it's 14 hours over three different disciplines. Well, I was you know, I was out loading my body for 14 hours in one discipline yeah. and then my, my run day, I, you know, I did 11 and a half hours of running one day. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, the, yeah, there are some comparisons you can try, but as you said, no one's ever done uh, and, you know, enough research. No one's ever done anything like this in this sort of structure, in this sort of times per day, in this type of a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to compare it to anything because 
there isn't anything to compare it to yeah. and you can't even really try and compare it to an Ironman or a double Ironman or yeah. Ultraman or a Decca or anything like that because the body is loaded in a completely different way. Um, so which I think is the other side of things for me is why it hasn't sunk in or why I don't sort of... Yeah, because you, know, you don't know, you don't have anything to compare it to. That's what I'm saying. Like when I, when I did an Ultraman, I was like, wow, I did this thing that other people have done. You know, and then I'm like, well, I, now I can kind of say, well, I'm sort of like in that same camp, right? That I could, I could do what those people did, but you did yeah. something that's like you don't have another camp to, to, to jump into to say that all. But are you thinking about making this a thing for other people to do? Like, I before I did it, yes. Yeah. After I did it, no. It's, <laughs> it's too hard. Yeah. Wow, that's a that's a testament of how hard that was. Then, yeah, maybe sure. not. It's I think the most hardest thing was the logistics of it. Yeah, uh, like you'll find out because I said the documentary is going to come out next year, and you I, w- I don't want to give too many things away, but yeah. we 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 had a few run-ins with the law, and we and we we had to jump on a few motorways on the bike, which is totally illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, so to make it not illegal and legitimate for someone to say, if I organise it and someone you know just did it through me, and I wanted to create this as a challenge, mm-hmm. the logistics of it is very difficult. If someone wants to do it and do something similar, yeah, get in touch and I'll give you the advice and and I can help you out. But in terms of me creating it as a, as a challenge for people to do, I I won't be doing it because. It's just too difficult for me to do logistics-wise, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, um, 12 days is too short if you actually weren't going to break the law and get on motorways and have run-ins with the police and stuff yeah. like that because you'd have to make the bike leg a lot longer. Huh. Yeah, the, the times that I've done my own stuff, I don't tell anybody, I don't tell the local authorities I'm doing it at all. <laughs> and then I, I try to get as far as I can without getting in trouble because of the... Logistics, yeah. But if I'm organising an event, yeah, you got to tell them, yeah. Yeah. So and also yeah. to because people say, oh, could you do it a race? And you, I can't make it a race because the swim um, through the Gibraltar Strait with the because for a safety point of view, they only allow. I think the organisers say you're only allowed four people in the water at once, and they all have to stay within like um, twenty yards from the first person to the back person. So you can't call it a race. Um, because you can say, okay, we're going to have four people in there at a time, but you all have to swim together. Well, you know. I wonder if that, have you seen that? You can't do that. So have you seen that thing with the Catalina Island swim and then you bike starting from LA and then run up whatever? And have you noticed that like the rules and what's actually going on is real vague? And I wonder if that's the reason why is because you can't really make it into a race. Yeah, because it's for the for the, because it's a um, it's more of a challenge for yourself, and you've got your own crew. Right. So it's basically someone's come up with a concept, or someone's done it. I don't know the ins and outs, but I know exactly what it is. Uh-huh. Someone's come up with this concept and said, "Okay, go and do this." Here's sort of the general uh, logistics and the ideas of it, but you all have to organise it yourself. And I'm guessing GPS somehow they they show that they did it, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, because it's it's. You do it yourself. You organize it, and then you go and do it. All right, real quick, I want to give a shout-out to livingfuel.com. 
this is a really cool company. They make all kinds of neat stuff, and they uh, sent me a sample pack twice now, a long time ago, and it takes forever to go through all this stuff, so you really get a good bang for your buck. Um, it's so nutritious that it takes a long time to eat it all. The, um, the latest thing I'm going through, they have these little snack packs that have uh, coconut and chia in them, which are really cool. Those taste really, really good. And then um, there was a study that showed that if you eat fish oil, that um, you uh, burn like, I don't know, it's like somewhere between 10 and 20% more calories just resting. Your meta- it speeds up your metabolism, the fish oil does. And they make those. And uh, I think it's about two or three capsules of their fish oil capsule, their mega capsules that uh, will do the trick. And also, uh, let's see, what else? Oh, uh, their shakes. They got a green shake, uh, which I blew through that really quick because I love green shakes. And then um, they got a berry shake, which you can tell it's really powerful when you drink that. And let's see, what else do they make? Oh, the thing I want to say, they make an amino acid powder. It's kind of like corny juice, but it's just straight amino acid. And uh, uh, amino acids do not taste good. <laughs> So they don't claim that this tastes good. So you're supposed to mix it with other stuff. You know what I found out that's really funny? It's sometimes after a workout, I'll have a glass of wine. You know, it's my reward for... Um, it really helps me get through a workout. I'm like, man, just finish this workout, you can have a glass of wine. And, you know, after a workout, some carbs uh, is really good. But that's, wine is just straight carbs. And I had this uh, crazy idea. I'm like, okay, wine tastes really good, but it's just carbs. Uh, livingfuel.com amino acids do not taste very good, but they're good for you. And it's protein. So what if I mix the protein from this? It's just a little scoop, just a little, you know, a little scooper. And uh, what if I mix that with my wine after my workout, which is supposed to be like a really smart thing, to, you know, protein and carbs, your, uh, your four to one ratio of carbs to protein. And so I've tried it a couple times now, and it's pretty freaking good. <laughs> And I got my little my little wine that helps me go to bed. I'm just like boom, right? I do not think Living Fuel would promote me saying that I've done that. But hey, we got to find our own way through all this training crap and uh, stuff that works. You always look at the the macros and the micros, and then uh, what needs to get done, and then do it in a way that works. Crazy, crazy thing. So check them out, LivingFuel.com. They are a great sponsor of the show. They've been around for a while now and uh, helping me out. They've been around for a long time really good story behind them. Go check them out. The website has their story about how they got started. And I absolutely love it. Super healthy food. Get it done. All right, back to our interview with Luke. Here we go. So how are you doing uh, now? Are you able to walk straight yet? Or you still got a limp? <laughs> I'm, I, got, I got rid of the crutches, I think, uh, just over a week ago, week and a half ago. Okay. So I was on them for two and a half, three weeks post-event. Yeah. Um, had a scan, all good, just a tear. So that's yeah. that's nice. Man, you were on um, crutches for two weeks. How many weeks? Two, two, about two and a half weeks in total. That's a long time, man. You were pretty banged up. Yeah, yeah. and and then I got rid of them and just walking and oh, uh, just doing some rehab stuff, just some light stretching now, a bit of massage to try and lengthen out the muscle and get the fibers attached. Yeah, uh, just a bit of movement, so just a bit of flexion extension, and now I'm here in in LA and doing daily walks on the beach, which is good. So get a bit of proprioception working, get the muscles to sort of fire in, in different ways. But uh-huh. no, you you wouldn't know. Like I can walk now, I can walk up and down stairs without any pain. Um, but 
in terms of running or cycling, I'm still going to give that a few more weeks before I, I try. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is people said, oh, why don't you just go and swim? Because you know, I'm a bit frustrated because I've not really done any training. Yeah. But during the swim, I strained uh, my shoulder. So I'm actually going to see my specialist on Thursday. And I think what's happened is I've got a, an impingement in my shoulder from the swim when I was trying to sprint through the uh, through the tide. So I can't even swim because right now I can't lift my arm over my head without pain. So, yeah, um, yeah, I worked pretty hard during the Ultimate Triathlon, I must admit. <laughs> I hope people are listening to this. when they. This is a really good interview for people to listen to when they're going to do something longer than they've ever done before of what actually, what that's like on the body, how... You you get like you said you you change one little thing you travel with your bike for example and people um well the, when we did the when I went to Spain last time uh, somebody started getting really bad knee pain or something like that on the bike riding after a day or two and I said yes. check okay is your is your seat height the same yes seat height is the same I said check your cleats and the cleats had had moved on her shoe and then bang all kinds of horrible knee pain you know. Um, so one little change, when you start going day after day, yeah, it can really jack jack you up. And then having to sprint through currents, right? Or yeah. um, climb up extra hills that you weren't planning on. Mm. Wow. So what's next? <laughs> I mean, if I had a dollar for every time someone asks me that, yeah. I'd go and buy an island somewhere. Yeah. Um, What's next? I told myself that I would not make any decisions until January. Okay. So I have basically a list, as long as my arm, of crazy challenges and adventures and, and things that I've made up over the last few years that I've yeah. just wrote down that I'll go through and look at that. But right now it's about um, promoting the Ultimate Triathlon and, and, right. and telling as many people as, as I can about it because I started this journey into endurance sports to live my life every day and create this, this brand that I have now mm -hmm. um, to show others to and try and be a beacon for others to live their life every day and, and yeah. to inspire to, to try and get out of their own comfort zone uh, on a daily basis. And I'm not talking just athletic feats. I'm talking try a different type of food. Um, you know, if you wanted to do an art class your entire life but you've never actually signed up. I want to inspire someone to go and do that or, you know, try something different or do something different or, you know, put down your phone at lunchtime and eat for the first 30 minutes and then go for a walk for 30 minutes after rather than just checking Facebook. You know, just live life and enjoy it because I, um, before I started doing endurance sports, I was a broken down soccer player with many injuries and, and I was battling with depression, which is still with me to today, but, it, you know, I've got sort of a hold on it. Yeah. And I wasn't living life and I wasn't enjoying myself and I started doing endurance sports and, you know, got into it doing really ultra extreme stuff, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is living." So it is, yeah. I don't necessarily want other people to go and you know don't do crazy stuff if they want to go for it, but just to right down to the basic thing of just living your life every single day, and that's that's the message I'm trying to get across through motivational speaking and talks that I do, and um, you know, blogging and stuff that I've got going on as well, and. I train other athletes and just trying to get them to try and push themselves a little bit more at the same time. And then in January, I'll sit down with a, with a calendar and a, and a pen and paper and go, right, what yeah. the hell am I going to do? Yeah. What are, what are your uh, top three happiest moments during the event? Top three. Um, happiest moment would have probably been 
like or funniest stuff thing that made you laugh or smile the most um oh top moment was 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 finishing just because I uh, I'd accomplished what I set out. Uh-huh. Uh, some of the funniest moments was we had a um, a, a megaphone, you know, like a megaphone that <laughs> oh, no. people yell into. And yeah. That. So we had that. So my crew, my crew, <laughs> they came up with this megaphone right next to me, and they had a siren on the megaphone. So they had all these little gadgets and had the siren going. And then he turned the siren down, and the guy who was in the car goes. This is the endurance police. Do not stop. Do not slow down. We believe you're about to uh, commit a serious endurance crime. Keep pedaling. Keep pedaling. So it was stupid stuff like that. It was just hilarious. Yeah. Those are really fun. Yeah. Um, and I think probably one of the funniest moments as well was uh, after the second day. So I'd done the big swim and the cycle and then two massive big cycles. And um, I got up the next day. And I said to my girlfriend, who was in the same room as me, who was getting my breakfast ready for me and or getting me ready for the day, and I said, "Oh, can I have can I have three spoons?" Mm-hmm. And she's like, three spoons." I said, "Yeah, I can I have three spoons." And we had big, um, big plastic containers full of food and equipment stuff in the room. And she was okay. And it must have been like two or three minutes later, she came up to me and gave me three spoons. Uh-huh. So only two or three minutes later. And I grabbed the spoons and I said to her, what are these for? She goes, you asked for three spoons. I said, no, I didn't. Why would I want three spoons? That's ridiculous. But I go back now and I can remember asking her for three spoons. Why? No one knows. So the whole joke for the entire trip was, Luke, do you need three spoons? Or are you yeah. okay? Can give you three spoons? Yeah. Wow, That's- man. So, uh, all right. So how can people get in touch with you? You're on a, you're on a promotion circuit, like letting people know about this. And how yeah, can they get you to swing by? I'm I've sort of I've done my little trip around the US at the moment, but oh. hopefully if enough people want to want me to come back and do a few talks and stuff, they can get in contact with me. Um, any websites the LukeTaberski.com or the ultimate triathlon.co and all my details are on that. You can send me an email or I'm on social media. It's Luke Taberski on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Drop me a line. And yeah, if you want to if you want to talk about doing a talk for uh, get me to do a talk for you, um, get in touch and we can work that out. And if you're an athlete and you want to get into some ultra endurance stuff, give me a buzz because you know I train athletes all around the world and get them to achieve their goals. And or if you just want to call me in that case and think what it was cool, send me a message or whatever, and I'll always reply. <laughs> well, I think you've created a a new level of of endurance where you know how hard did you go you know somebody say you can take it to 11 or something but you can say three spoons if you go three spoons deep then that's tight <laughs> that's as hard as you yeah. went. you can't remember why you asked for three spoons that's pretty hardcore yeah yeah and then if you push yourself that hard and you don't remember cycling for a couple hours and the next thing you know you wake up in a foreign hotel room still yeah. with your cycling kit on with a pounding headache and no electric no recollection of how you got there. That's definitely three that's, spoons level. That is that is that is rare, dude. That is that is really pushing yourself, man. That's you've got the uh, the mental game down to be able to do that for sure. You're made for this. Yeah, yeah. And I've actually I've had a few people say to me, "Oh, well, do you think you weren't fit enough?" And they caught me off guard because it's a bit like asking me that I'm not fit enough because of the amount of stuff that I've done. And I just thought of myself, and then I. Literally about two minutes, I went, hang on, 
I did 50 hours of training in six weeks and felt fine after that, only eight weeks before I started. Yeah. Um, I don't think not being fit enough was the problem. I just think <laughs> it was one of these things because people who saw me after that training block yeah. didn't believe that I actually did it. I was fine. I was walking around. I was functioning as per normal. And it was all good. Yeah. And um, I could. I don't think I could have trained any harder for this. It was just unfortunate one of those things that happened. Yeah, that, I've run into that a lot where – um, things happen and then you don't have the race that you want and then you you ask yourself well was i fit enough and yeah you were it's some something else happened and uh yeah yeah so yeah and and honestly the whole thing race racing is just validation of your fitness the whole goal is to get that fit and uh and it, like the uh the saying goes the best kind of running training is to train for a marathon but never race it <laughs> yeah and yeah. That, that way you don't have the injuries of race day but you got yourself into amazing shape so no well that's right and you know i go back and think about that that block that five fifty hours in that's, six days and it was amazing because at the end of it i felt great as i said go on go onto my website lutzabersky.com and on videos and you'll see the uh, or even on the ultimate triathlon videos you'll see the 50 hour uh, in six day training block and you know, it was good fun, and I enjoyed it, and I felt great afterwards. So that sort of validation to me that I yeah. was good to go. That actually, you know, that might be your second greatest accomplishment ever. And, and, and to put that in perspective, the the guy that won the overall age grouper at Kona, yep, that was his peak training. He managed to get up to fifty hours of training a week, and I don't know how often he did it, but he managed to do it at least once, and um, that got him. And it wasn't, that's why I was asking you, like, how hard were you going? He was just cruising along just easy, you know? And that level of fitness got him first place at Kona out of all the age groupers, first non-pro. So you can put that kind of in the back of your mind. That's like the potential that that you kind of had going on there. It's amazing. Well, we'll see about that. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Well, it's been great. Yeah, and, Brad, it's been awesome to connect again, buddy. Yeah. All right. Talk to you later. All right, Brett. See you later. All right. Super cool. Thank you, Luke. That is uh, quite an accomplishment and way to keep going in spite of injury. We, I've had uh, plenty of injuries lately, which I'll update you with here in a minute. But let me give you the um, the website for Luke. It's theultimatetriathlon.co. Not C-O-M, but just C-O the ultimate triathlon.co and the the part of the story the hobbling with the uh, busted up leg is one thing but that that part where he had to go the other way or something with the um with the swim across the gibraltar strait uh strait of gibraltar it, that's that's a bad sign right from the beginning we're <laughs> just like holy holy crap you know and he comes from a soccer background not a swimming background so that is quite an impressive uh, accomplishment that swim that i think that 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 part blew me away more than anything else that's that's very substantial big big props to him man crazy all right let's go ahead and get started with the uh the training log uh, and here's the the music bit for those of y'all that love it here we go you are entering the centrite training log zone Kuneli. Hi everybody, my name is Brett, I'm a triathlete. I'm a triathlete. 
I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise. Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself. All right, this episode, I didn't really take my microphone along with me and record a lot of workouts because I've been injured. I've been uh, banged up pretty badly and just a whole variety of things. And, and one thing is chosen on purpose to be timed right about now, but uh, which I'll get to in a second. So uh, let's go ahead and cover some of that. First off, I want to do a little review on knuckle lights. So when I started doing trail running, my trail running godfather, Chris Matus, uh, who's got an extensive background in this stuff, uh, told me one of the best things to do is hold a light down low and if you hold it down low, it throws a shadow better, and it's better than a headlamp because a headlamp doesn't throw a shadow behind the object uh, for your eyes to see because it's right in line with your eyes, so you can't see the shadow behind it. Uh, so if you can hold your lights down low, then you'll be way better off and see stuff while you're running at night. And I, uh, if you remember from, uh, from the previous episode or so, I fell down while running. I tripped over a chain. I went and found it. It's a chain stretched across a road. And I tripped over a chain and put my arms out in front of me and ended up breaking my left arm. And it broke the radius bone at the tip of the bone. And it has jacked up my arm big time. I had to go to the emergency room. I've been going to the uh, all kinds of doctors and stuff. I cannot straighten out my left arm. It is bent. It might be bent permanently for the rest of my life. Uh, when I reach for things, as a swimmer, I can actually hyperextend my right arm pretty easily. I think most of us probably can. I'm just used to doing it swimming. And um, I got a good two, three inches more reach with my right arm than I do with my left now. Um, I look kind of wonky uh, walking around and... Um, it is painful, painful. It still is, even though this has been like a month or two since this happened. Maybe, yeah, maybe two months. Anyway, it's a mess, man. And it sucks. It really, really sucks. So I'd like to thank the people who've come out to uh, support me and tell me that they've had similar, the same or similar injuries and that they're okay or mostly okay. I had a thread on Slow Twitch that got started up uh, asking about it, what to do. And therapy is a big deal. It may take a year, if ever, that I get full function in my arm back. And uh, it's just a nightmare. So, oh man. And then the stories of people that have broken, they've tripped or fallen on their bike and broken both arms this way. I can't, man, I couldn't. It's only been in the past couple weeks where I can actually touch my left hand to my left ear. Imagine that. It feels like there's a painful wad of cotton jammed into my elbow, and I can't bend my elbow all the way, and I can't straighten my elbow all the way. Um, couldn't wipe the crack of my ass after you know, doing number two with my left hand. I can't do freaking anything with my left hand. I still can't play guitar. I can't because my hand just won't freaking twist. I um, can't get headphones in and out of my ear. I can't steer my car with my left hand. I'm just a mess, man. So it sucks. Um, every day I get just the tiniest bit better. Uh, I can... Uh, oh, I've started lifting weights. I was swimming for a while, and that was going somewhat better. Oh, man. God, but sometimes I felt like I rebroke it and stuff. And oh my! And I think I actually broke another bone in my wrist uh, doing all this, and we just never really knew it. I also broke my right toe 
um, trying to stop myself from falling down. It's called turf toe when you do that. You put so much stress on your toe, you break your toe. Um, trying to, yeah, trying to stop yourself from falling down. And so I had broken my left arm, my right toe, and then also at the training for the uh, Ultra Baby, the self-supported Ultraman I did, I managed to develop a rampant case of uh, plantar fasciitis. That's the tendons on the underside of your feet uh, start uh, burning and being painful to walk on, especially in the morning. And then it got so bad in my left foot that my left heel feels like I've got a heel spur, which the doc says is really just, um, a lot of people say, is really just uh, plantar fasciitis, just really bad in the left foot. So with all this crazy crap going on, I took some time off running. Uh, but I couldn't run. I went out and ran, and then I rebroke my right toe. <laughs> and then terrified to run at night. So one time I went out at night. When I finally got to where I could run again, I went and found where I fell down and, and had a moment. I, I stood there with that chain across the road and just looked at it like... It's you and me now, <laughs> but I always think that you should face your fear, and uh, it it really it devastated me like this injury. I mean, it really rocked my world. Um, I might not ever be the swimmer that I used to be because I can't use my left arm hardly like I used to. And then uh, I've gone to the gym, like I said, and started to lift, trying to lift some weights. Um, when I first started out, I could lift maybe a third of the weight, and this is waiting about a month. Lift maybe a third of the weight I could with my right hand. And then eventually got up to about half the weight, and now I'm just over half the weight, maybe like three-fifths the weight with my uh, left hand, with my left arm that I can do with my right. So, I mean, there's a little bit of progress, but it's still freaking, uh, it's bad, man. And then, um, so yeah, I'm just like, I'm just a mess. I'm an absolute mess rolling around. Uh, and then, uh, so when I finally started going out and running again, uh... I invest while well, while I was waiting. I went and bought knuckle lights because the reason I tripped was I was running in the freaking dark like an idiot. And even though there's street lights and stuff, uh, still there's sections where you know street lights don't light up the street uh, between the street lights, and that's where I tripped. And um, knuckle lights are lights that uh, you kind of wear them across your knuckles, like brass knuckles, and um, that way your hands are still pretty much open. I'd say about you got about eighty percent. Uh, 90% of the full functionality of your hands. Um, the lights are down low, so they throw a nice shadow. Uh, there's the set. God, money was like 30 or 40 bucks. Includes both lights. Um, they're waterproofish. They're sweat and rain resistant. And then they um, they run on uh, AAA batteries, so they're easy to replace the batteries. They've got flashing modes and and uh, and so anyway, I wanted to give a quick review. Um, they're great. They're actually pretty freaking good, man. And then um, I, right now, I ran with both of them uh, a few times. And now now I'm running with just one. Because uh, I'm, I'm running pretty much where there's about half lit by streetlights. So I don't need the light all the time. And it's nice, man. I freaking like them a lot. So go check them out. Uh, knucklelights.com they, they seem so different and so almost kooky that you think it might just be a gimmick, but it's not. They're they're actually really good. So if I was doing an ultra race now where we ran through the night, um, I'd probably I'd probably use them. I think, and I think they're definitely uh, worth the investment, especially because they don't cost all that much. They're pretty cool. All right, and let's uh, move on to. Um, 
uh, the plantar fasciitis in the foot, uh, the heel spur is really, really dangerous, bad stuff. And, um, you gotta, man, that stuff can get just worse and worse and worse. That's calcification of where the tendon attaches under the heel. So you gotta, once you know that that's what that is, you gotta really be uh, proactive and work on that. And so I've been sleeping about half the time in a, in a boot that uh, you can wear that keeps your foot stretched out overnight, uh, your toes more pointed up uh, so that it doesn't heal uh, in the crunched position so that when you get up in the morning, um, it doesn't hurt when you walk around. And I've been doing that for a while, and boy, that is clunky. So i got a broken toe on one foot, boot on the other. I can't use my left arm in the other. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Emily's just laughing at me in bed. I'm just a freaking mess. And then uh, she said, um, oh, she didn't say anything. She's like, get away from me. That's what she says. But the uh, uh, this morning was the first run where it uh, barely hurt at all uh, running. And uh, I got up in the morning and ran. And then um, a couple of days ago, see, today's Tuesday. I did a, on Sunday, I did a, um, a longer workout. I did two hours on the bike, kind of easy to moderate um, on the treadmill, not treadmill, on the uh, trainer uh, doing Zwift, which has been just a ton of fun. And then uh, a one hour run. So like a three hour brick workout. Sorry, free birds. And, uh, uh, my foot hardly bothered me at all. And I think the, the bike ride before the run actually stretched things out. So everything's were, everything was, uh, nice. So, um, yeah, I, it's still, uh, very injury prone and I have to run very easy and just kind of keep things, uh, cool. I got to keep it real cool, man. So I don't mess things up, but I think I'm on the upswing with that. Uh, races coming up is Galveston 70.3 in April and the, uh, Ironman Canada this summer, so uh, my plan was to be uh, not like this <laughs> right now, but uh, we're still way far away. So that's where we're going. Um, and then on top of all that, uh, we had scheduled, there's a, a tattoo. And the thing is, is uh, there's in our town, there's one guy, there's probably more than one, but there's one guy that's really, 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 really good. In fact, he's so good, the waiting list to see him, if you're going to do anything more than like, I don't know, a smiley face, then uh, is, was it two months? I think it was a two-month waiting list. Uh, maybe three months? So anyway, Emily's been wanting me to get uh, start a tattoo sleeve. Uh gosh, forever. And I've always kind of wanted one. So, um, uh, with my injury and it being after the ultra baby, um, taking some time off and over Christmas break, uh, we set up, uh, we called and then they're like, yeah, it'll be like forever from now, but go ahead and get on the waiting list. So got on the waiting list. And, uh, so things, things are kind of working out a little bit wise. And so I went in and, uh, got the tattoo started and it's a, um, it's, uh, ocean, the Japanese, uh, crashing wave, which is really cool. Cause I do, I love all the water stuff and I've done so much water stuff and the, um, but on my 
on my uh, right shoulder and chest a, a little bit, quite a bit, and then down into my arm to just below my bicep with a um, bonsai tree and a uh, wave and clouds and a tiger that uh, is climbing up the tree kind of sideways looking and uh, with kind of a, a fearsome looking face on the, on the tiger. And um, what I did is I went online, I created a Pinterest account, which makes me feel real manly, to, um, to go collect uh, pictures of tattoos that I, I like. And so I went into the tattoo artist for our consultation and showed him all the different stuff that I liked and the style that I liked. And he said, oh, traditional Japanese, um, this, that. And I said, I like this guy's, I like the size of this one, but I like what, but I don't like what it is, but I like what this one is, but I want it over here. And I like this and that and the other. It was really cool with a MacBook Air to sit there and show him uh, what I really, really like. And um, so then I went in for the tattoo session and it's going to take multiple sessions. And this last one was two and a half hours long and it went up under my arm and across my collarbone, for example. And it was literally the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. It's not my first tattoo, but it's, uh, holy crap. First off, when they're tattooing your collar across your collarbone, it feels like they're drilling into your ear. He said, <laughs> he talks like uh, Tom Brady, the bad guy in, um, in the Revenant. Uh, the guy's from the deep, he's from, uh, uh Madisonville, Texas, which like, now this is going to feel like I'm way up in your, on your neck when I'm not. Okay. It's like, okay. Again. I was like, holy crap, man. Oh, whoa. And I was crushing a, a grip ball in one hand. My hands were sweating. I thought I was going to pee myself for a little bit. And he's doing up under my arm. And I'm like, I don't remember really signing up for it being up in, under my arm. I kind of wanted the underarm to be okay, you know? And then uh, I get allergy shots. And on the, on the outside of my arm, Totally fine. Didn't bother me at all. But anyway, you can't go swim uh, two weeks after you uh, get a tattoo because you could pick up an infection or something like that. And um, so we did. Yeah, we did two and a half hours, and then two weeks, which I'm wrapping up week one. I'm starting week two, Tuesday of week two, uh, right now. And then I'll get back in the pool, and then we got some time where I can get back in and train uh, and keep doing therapy on my arm. Uh, swimming is really good for, for, uh, working on my broken arm therapy, but, uh, right after you get a tattoo, you got to cover it in all this lotion and crap like that. And, uh, so now we've got the boot on the left foot, the broken right toe, the broken left arm that won't bend right and sticking up in the air, uh, hanging off the left side of the bed. And now my right arm covered in, uh, kind of like a uh, and D ointment. It's kind of like Vaseline with Saran wrap. <laughs> And I'm just laying there. And, man, I got into a real funk, man. I was just like, ugh, life sucks, dude. I am just coming apart. This is not good. And Emily's like, oh, you'll be fine. I'm like, no, I know I'll be fine, but I still need some sympathy here, man. I'm a human. And this is rough, dude. I am I am not doing uh, all that well. And then I went through, um, I still am a little bit, through the... Um, the ups and downs of getting a, a tattoo. And if it's big enough, you know, it really changes your identity of who you are and how people treat you and stuff. And, um, it's really cool. That's, it's the upside of Zen. 
of studying Zen for so long is you learn not to judge. You learn to just observe and watch your feelings change as you go. So like sometimes I'll look at my tattoo um, and right now it's just like the wireframe of the tattoo. It's like the outline of stuff. It, um, it's real primitive looking because it needs to be shaded and all that. And uh, I'll be like, oh man, that looks cool. <laughs> and then I'll be like, man, I look like an idiot. Well, I'm too old for this. And then I'll be like, oh man, that's cool. And then, uh, and then uh, it's really interesting when it surprises you. You forget you have one and then you take off your shirt while you're changing in the bathroom and then you look up and you're like, oh yeah, I got that tattoo. And um, when when it's a surprise, you really get to see your uh, real emotions, you know? And, um, and I've noticed that I'll be like, um, hey, uh, maybe, maybe I should lift up my shirt sleeve a little bit so that person over there can see my tattoo, you know, so they think I'm cool, you know? And, and then other times I'm like, oh man, I need to hide this thing. I don't want to scare this parent (laughs) that I've got this tattoo. And they think I'm like, uh, you know, like a bad guy or something like that. So it's really fascinating. But then what I've learned is, um, the, you shouldn't believe the thoughts in your mind. They're just emotions and they're temporary. And I'll, I'll watch, um, my opinions of myself, like, come and go and change. It's really, really interesting. And um, all I have to do is just wear, you know, the right kind of shirt at work and nobody can see it. So uh, the tattoo um, progress continues and we'll cover that over uh, some future episodes. And let me see if I have anything else I want to mention here. Um, I got some book recommendations for you. Uh, Over the past few weeks, I've picked up the audiobook version. You can hear me clicking here as I pull it up on my phone of some great books that I wanted to recommend to you. Where'd they go? Here we go. Hope it doesn't crash the recording. Okay, um, the one I'm listening to latest is Sit Down and Shut Up by Brad Warner, which is a really good Zen book. And um, he might be a Zen master. I'm not sure if he is or not. Um, I think he is, uh, just by the, based on his mindset and the way he talks and the, uh, hold on, I got something popping up. I don't know what that is. Go away. And, um, he wrote Dharma punks. I believe he wrote Dharma punks and, um, he was, in a, is an American punk rock bassist, but he's about 50 years old, but he also used to work in Japan and studied under some Zen masters. And he, he goes back and forth talking about, being a musician and also in, in America and then also uh, being immersed in Japanese culture and what that was like uh, working for uh, the same companies that make like Godzilla movies and stuff and also studying under um, Japan, a Japanese Zen master and um, several of them, I think, and uh, talking about some Zen lessons. It's really cool. And... Let's see, uh, the productivity project where a guy spent a year or so trying every single productivity trick that he could think of and how he narrowed down stuff that worked and what didn't work. That's pretty cool. Uh, Smile at Fear, which might be a Buddhist book um, by Chogam Trungpa. And I just really like it. It's just a really good book. And then um, Deep Work by Cal Newport. And it's about, uh, you know, sinking deep into a project and really wanting it and getting it done. It's pretty neat. So those are four books for you. Um, oh, The Smile at Fear reminds me the um, on my tattoo, the tiger 
uh, symbolizes to me because everything can mean different things to different people. Um, I got a friend with koi fish on his on his sleeve on his arm, and uh, the different fish represent he and his wife and his kid, right? Uh, but the tiger to me represents uh, fear because uh, it's got a fearsome face on it, and the um, and how my life has gotten so much better since whenever I realize I'm afraid of something, I attack it. Like I don't really attack it, but I go I make sure that I go conquer that fear as soon as I can. Like, uh, when I broke my arm, uh, tripping over that chain, it really scared me. And I was really, it really changed my life for, for the foreseeable future. And it's scary. And so I went and ran the first time that I could, I went and visited that chain at night and sat there with it for a good minute or two, just sitting there with that chain, looking at it going, I'm not afraid of you, you know? I'm uh, I'm here. You're there. You're not going to rule my life, and we're gonna we're gonna face off here until I decide to walk away, and I did, and that's a little bit of how I operate. And so anyway, that's a uh, smile at fear, which is a really good book. Okay, and let me pop open this right here. Man, I got pop-ups going. Let's see. Uh, my weight has been creeping up because one, I haven't been able to train because of all the injuries, and uh, then and the tattoo stuff and. Uh, also I haven't been eating all that healthy cause it's over Christmas and, and, uh, been letting myself go a little bit since I just finished a freaking Ultraman. <laughs> so I'm like, dude, you've earned a little bit of break and all the overtraining and stuff. You need to, you need to let your systems, you need to take a break and maybe put on some fat, make sure every, all your, all your reservoirs are topped off. You know, there's a lot of hormones and all this kind of stuff that goes on reserves that you need to, um, fill up before you, uh, deplete them uh, too drastically and um but so recently i started doing uh god just been only two days uh green smoothies again and i thought um i'd tell you how real quick i've got a vitamix i guess you could do like a ninja bullet or something like that um it needs to be simple so that you can do it day after day after day without much work uh i throw in fistfuls of kale uh usually without the stems always without the stems and carrot baby carrots typically because they're already packaged up baby carrots and a banana and an orange peeled orange and uh that was yesterday's today i added some chia seeds and a little bit of hemp powder does not taste anywhere near as good as yesterday's did and blend it up with some water if it's not sweet enough uh maybe add a little bit of apple juice until you can stand it and then uh, pour it into something that has like a pop top on it that you that seals pretty good. I've got uh, a Nalgene bottle with a screw top lid, but also that has a little pop top thing on it. And then um, right after you if right after you make your smoothie, uh, rinse out the blender ASAP, right that moment. And then you don't have to spend forever cleaning it and scrubbing it with soap all the time if you rinse it out right after you make the uh, smoothie. And then throw some ice in your smoothie jar, bottle, and then uh, you're good to go uh, for quite a while. It'll last the rest of the day. It'll be good. And let's see. Um, I want to, uh, I'm going to leave you with a productivity tip after we do our donations. Uh, let's see. We've had a bunch of show supporters since the last episode. I wanted to mention, um, I don't put out a show unless I have something to say. And I've never done shows on a schedule since day one of 10, 11 years ago. I do shows when, um, when they ought to be done. And that's a very Zen thing. It's, uh, 
You know, if something doesn't need to be done, don't do it. If something needs to be done, do it now. And uh, I even the other day tweeted that uh, be wary of the advice on shows that are done on a um, that are like a tips and advice podcast that are done on a regular schedule because they'll put out tips and advice that really aren't all that good just because they have to fill the schedule. You know, if they got a every Monday, Wednesday, Friday a schedule or every Wednesday they, they do this and that, uh, some of the advice out there um, is just crap they're grabbing from the internet. <laughs> Or the guest sucks and they just they're just grabbing somebody. So um, yeah, I don't feel bad about not putting out shows sometimes because uh, because I'm waiting for stuff to pile up and and right now we're in a little bit of a down a down spot in the northern hemisphere with triathlon and that's just that's okay that's the way things go. A uh, a peach seed will grow into a peach tree. You can't rush it. It does it on its own time, as they said in Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> <laughs> All right, show donations. You can help support Zen in the Art of Triathlon by going to zentriathlon.com and donating on the left-hand side if you find the stuff in this show to be helpful or you like it and you want to help keep it on the air. And here are some recent donors, a lot of them recurring. You can set up a recurring donation. It's pretty cool. Um, Allison Frutos, Matthew Froes, Houston Marsh, and Alexander Bromage, who I coach, awesome guy, and Ken Soderquist, uh, El Senor, out of Europe, I suppose, uh, Chad, in fact, a lot of these people are from all over the world, it's really cool, Chad Jamrazi, uh, Michael Radogna, Brett Hoyer, the coolest first name in triathlon, Matthew Heinz, how's it going, dude, uh, Brian Kemper, Todd Nelson, Simon Wright, Daniel Clemens, James Godak, Richard Stewart, and Hun Chu. Hun Chu, I used to coach, and he recently broke free because he graduated, is the way I like to put it. I taught him how to train. He really improved his results, and he said, you know what? I think I can train myself now. And I said, you have not, one, you have not made me upset by saying that and two you've made me proud which means i've released another smart triathlete out into the wild and actually coming up really soon i'm gonna have spot i'm gonna have a spot for one more person i'm coaching a guy right now that's going to uh, do an attempt at the rocky raccoon 100 and i don't know if he's going to continue after that he might be a mess after that race because that race is really really difficult and a hundred mile ultra run and i might have a spot opening up to coach somebody i tend to coach only about um two, three, four people at a time. That way I keep the numbers low, but I keep the quality really high. And uh, yeah, the way I coach is I, I review every single workout. I design every workout by hand. I don't um, I don't just dump workouts in and see what happens. I, I, uh, I give you stuff for a few days and then we talk uh, and then we uh, see how you're doing. And then I give you more stuff for like a few days to a week. And then we see how you're doing and then we keep working towards your goal. So that's my little coaching plug right there. Um, I also need to mention uh, Hornet Juice. Hornet Juice has been a longtime sponsor of the show. Uh, you can check them out on the right side of Zentrathlon.com. It's an amino acid powder that metabolizes your fat to help you get better fat burning out of your body. And the stuff is crazy good. I've been using it for years. And people will initially buy like uh, the starter pack, which is like 10 Hornet Juices. And then they come back and order like 30 or 60 because like, holy crap, this stuff is amazing. Um, doesn't have any caffeine or any kind of pep in it like that. It's, it's, um, it's a blend of amino acids that, again, your body sees it and it goes, oh, 
This means I need to metabolize some body fat. And it is literally like a diesel engine has been turned on in your body and um, it becomes so much easier to go um, longer in your races or in your long workouts uh, with less if less perceived effort but you keep looking down at your speedometer or your uh, your running pace or your your watt meter and going how am I doing this? This is amazing. I'm three hours in and I feel like I'm only 20 minutes in. I feel like I could go forever. It's the Hornet Juice, man. It is awesome. So again, check that out on the right-hand side of zentrathlon.com. And I want to wrap it up with, uh, with something else. I listen to a lot of podcasts about productivity and you know inspirational stuff and, and uh, just... Uh, reorganizing your life and trying to get the most out of out of life and there's so many podcasts out there that are so good i'd, I'd like to include zentry as a, one of those and um i don't even remember which one it was it happened so fast that I, all i could do was later in the day write it down what was said um when i grabbed a when i grabbed a notepad and basically the gist is this this is about habit building and improving yourself so with uh triathlon and with everything uh, pretty much anything is a habit, right? You're just trying to change your habits. You have a habit of eating a green smoothie every day. So yeah, let's do the green smoothie or uh, working out, right? You're trying to start working out in the afternoons. You already work out in the morning, but now you want to, you got a race coming up and you want to work out in the afternoons as well. Um, or you're trying to drink less coffee in the evening is what I'm, I'm doing. So um, the trick was you have to work on a habit long enough until you feel like you have something to lose. This is really interesting. So the, the way the mind works is we're more afraid of losing something than we are of gaining it. Uh, losing something is bad. Gaining something is kind of eh, right? You're already alive and you're breathing if you're listening to this. So things are actually kind of okay. You know, they're not terrible. Um, so... And the, the way they've proven this is psychologists and experiments will say, okay, um, I'm going to do rock, paper, scissors, and if you lose, I'm going to take away um, 10 bucks. But um, if you win, I'm going to give you 20 right? Well, even though the win- winning 20 bucks is twice as much money as losing $10, the people will get pissed twice as much if they lose than if they win. And you're like, man, that doesn't work out. That does that doesn't uh th- the math doesn't work. <laughs> Why do people get so uh notice and get so upset over losing than they do with winning? And it's like, yeah, well losing can be um you're you're pulling away um a known quality of life that's good that you that you already are enjoying. And at you know, winning something just it's kind of like, nah, you know, I was okay before that. So the extra is nice, but I don't need it, right? So uh, with habit changing, um, you have to work on a habit long enough until you have, it's part of your identity. And then if you stop the habit, then you're, you're losing something, right? If you don't do it long enough, then it's still too new. And it's, it's like, it's like, uh, you're not losing it, um, so let's say uh, not drinking. Oh, let's let's do the uh, green smoothie thing. So um, 
if I've just started drinking green smoothies and then I don't drink a green smoothie, I'm like, eh, whatever. I'm not really a person that drank green smoothies anyway. I'm not losing anything. Now, if I've been drinking green smoothies for like three weeks, then I, I've kind of, I've learned to self-identify as I'm somebody that drinks green smoothies, right? And now if I don't drink one, well, now I'm kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm losing part of my identity, right? And so that really strikes at your heart. Um, and then you're less inclined to uh, stop because you don't want to lose something that you already are. Whew. I know that's a little bit complicated. You may need to go back and listen to that one again. You don't want to lose something that you are. And so all you have to do is work on something until you, you have to put the effort in long enough until you kind of self-identify as, as uh, that thing, that person. You're, you're somebody that doesn't drink coffee um, after you know noon. Or you're somebody that drinks a green smoothie every day, right? Or what was the other one? You're somebody that works out in the afternoons, right? So that's, you build that, you work on the habit. You have to put in the effort until you self-identify as one of those types. And then you're much less likely to stop because now you've got some momentum going and you don't want to lose it. All right. So that's it for this episode. Stay tuned for next one. I think I'm going to try to get uh, the Ultraman guy and the... uh, Jocelyn McCauley in about Dubai 70.3 and what that was like. She's racing that this weekend and we'll see whatever else happens. Cool. Everybody stay safe out there. Don't be like me and fall down. Uh, work the uphills, keep the, uh, work the uphills, cruise the downhills and keep the rubber side down. Out. <laughs>